Welcome to the Bar Hacks Podcast. Engaging interviews, plus tips and strategies to navigate your bar or restaurant business towards sustainable success. Now, here's your host, hospitality industry veteran, journalist, and editor, David Klempt. Hey, welcome back to the Bar Hacks Podcast. I have a very interesting guest. We have Cynthia Penner, a principal for Box Interior Design out of Vancouver. How's it going? Great. Thank you for having me, David. Thank you for being on. I really appreciate your time. So I have to ask how you got into interior design and how you got into hospitality interior design. I was always really fascinated with the idea of before and after, even in like high school, pre-high school. uh, I always loved things could be one way and then they could be another. And when I was sort of looking at um, career choices, I didn't quite have the marks to be a plastic surgeon. And so (laughs) interior design seemed like a really interesting path for me to to sort of allow that creativity and and that idea of of making change. And so I went to architecture school and and majored in interior design and then went on to, to work in Toronto for a number of years. And then I decided that my own gig would be good. And here I am today. What drew you to restaurants, bars, that you got a, a brewing company here, you have the Rogers Arena projects. How did that all come about? When I started doing interior design, I started my career doing corporate work, you know, nice offices for people and, and that was fine, but it was very transactional. And I felt that there was something missing in that connection because it felt really personal to me, but it wasn't very personal to them. It was just like, well, Thanks. That looks great. You're on time. You're on budget. Let's let's go. Um, and and it, that was that. And then I did my first hospitality project, and and it was like a like meeting of minds. You know, here were people for whom it was so personal, and there it didn't start and stop with the job. Like they lived their life as hospitable people who loved people. And that really resonated with me. And and for me, design doesn't sort of start at nine and end at five either. Like it's just a way of of going through life and a way of seeing. And so it, it just seemed really natural to kind of combine these things. Certainly in my personal life, I've loved always to travel and travel for me is where are we having breakfast? Where are we having lunch? Where are we having dinner? Where are we having drinks? Like it's, that is how you experience people and cultures and, and places. And so that was always just a really natural part of my life. And so to be able to sort of bring that into my professional life was like the perfect synergy kind of thing. You have a, a favorite type of venue you like to make. I mean, I'm not going to make you call out your favorite client because we talked before and you said they're all your favorites, of course. They're but, all our favorites. <laughs> but do, you, um, do you have a type of restaurant or a type of bar? I love working uh, with entrepreneurs. I, I love, you know, like it, it, it's very glamorous to work with the big players that, you know, with big brand names behind them. And, and that that's lovely um, in, in one sense. But the passion of and vision of, of someone with a dream and it's personal, that is, is magical to me. And being able to walk with them as, cause you know, like they've been laying in bed for the last, you know, months or years thinking about this entity that they want to create. And then to be able to be entrusted with that dream and then to work with them and then deliver something that's even 
more exciting maybe than what they even imagined and, and, and have that kind of, oh, hooray, you know, it, it's so awesome. I, I just love it every time. So I know every project is different, but can you maybe walk us through what it's like to work with you in Box and how to take someone's ideas and just get them out of their head? Not everybody knows how to describe what they're seeing and then make a true brick and mortar realization of their vision. Sure. I think what works best um, that we found in our, in our process over the last sort of 25 years is really talking very carefully about what do we want to create? Who do we want to come? Why will they come? Where are they coming from? Why will they want this more? And really getting to the crux of what's the motivation behind why you're opening this and why do you think other people will respond to that? And the more we can tap into the, the why behind it, um, the more that you can curate this place into being the perfect example of, of whatever it is you're trying to do. And, and that's completely scalable. Like it could be a bar for 10 people or it could be, you know, like a bar for, for 10,000. But why will they come? Why will they come again? How do they know you, that you love them? And how is that expressed through every decision that you make? It's something even as simple as, okay, we, we have a bar. What is the bar made of? Is it made of wood? Is it made of stone? Is it made of zinc? Is it, is it uh, upholstered? Um, how do you feel when you rest your arm on the edge? Can you sit at the bar? Can you not sit at the bar? How come? Uh, is there a foot rail? Is there not? All those things, they seem really minor, but they actually tell a very specific story that if you take that same reasoning and apply it to every other aspect of the built space, you're going to be so laser focused on why you're doing it and, and the community that you're attracting will love it. So that's the journey that we try to take with, with all of our clients. You have maybe some tips or tricks for getting someone's idea out of their head if they just really can't maybe describe it to you on your first meeting? Yeah, we have, we have um, quite a range of clients and some of them come to us and they're like, I want to build a steakhouse. Here's the space. <laughs> this is my budget. Uh, I have to be open on this day. And then they walk away. <laughs> that, that's interesting. Uh, and then we have other people who have a vision, but have a hard time getting the words out. And so sometimes we use visuals of, of other projects in the world that might resonate with them. Maybe they're not even hospitality projects, but it could just be, I love uh, how I feel when I look at this picture, or I love how I felt when I visited this place. And then we try to drill down as like, what about it do you love? What, what is it that's attracting you to that, that image or that feeling? And, and, and what does that make sense? Sometimes it helps for people to describe what they're looking for. Like it's like a car or like a fashion house, or um, we try to ascribe a, a band, maybe like a musical group or something that it's like, oh yeah, it feels like this, you know? And if it feels like, you know, the Carpenters versus feeling like <laughs> a punk band, you know, we, we, maybe we can talk, right? So you don't have to be an expert in design to talk about design because really design comes from a place of, of an attitude. And, and if you can capture the attitude, um, then everything else can flow from that. 
So it sounds like you really create relationships then with all of your clients. You're not just creating some stuff for this, oh, it's a steakhouse, here's a steakhouse, and you throw it at them. You really get to know who they are. I think it's really important to have a really trusting relationship between the designer and and the operator or the the owner, because you're going to talk about some pretty intimate things, um, about financial things, about motivation things, even about how long do you want to own this before you might sell it or that kind of thing. Things that even some of the employees and things might not know. But, but by, by having those very intimate conversations, then you can be more strategic on how do we spend the money? How do, what's the right way to appropriate things um, and how to really dive into the legacy of, of what you're doing. Maybe there's, you want to make a, a future chain or franchise it or that kind of thing. If you can get personal, you'll get better results. Are there parts of the budgets that as far as the design goes, you you think this is one element that you really have to focus the lion's share of the budget on? That's a tricky question. I think with budgeting, so much of budget doesn't go to the look. And, and so that's part of the thing when looking at real estate or when you're looking like if something is something you already have and you're renovating it, then you sort of can maybe be more aesthetic oriented and, and looking at, okay, what, where do we want the, the bang for the buck to really show? If it's in a new build kind of situation, um, you know, it's like, should I be purchasing a place that already exists that I'm going to finish or refinish, or are we building from scratch? And then you're into all sorts of infrastructure kind of upgrades. So strategy around budget is, is super important. Our feeling is spend the money where people interact with it the most, right? So it would be terrible to have the most beautiful bar in the world, but the most uncomfortable chair, right? <laughs> you know? Or it would be terrible to have a great chair, but you can't see the liquor. And, and so, you know, maybe there's good drinks back there, but who knows, right? Like um, it's, it, you have to be smart about it. And normally it's not about having sort of a spend that's equal all the way across the board. There's places where you can be very modest in your spend. And then there's places where you want to just be like, holy smokes, because people are going to talk about that and it's going to stick with them and it's going to be meaningful to them. That kind of brings me to maybe some trends you're seeing, but one of the biggest things, of course, of the past several years is, do you have to have an Instagrammable moment in your space? Oh, <laughs> David, that's the bane of my existence. I want a wow moment. Um, <laughs> you want a place to have character and you want something to be memorable. And creating sort of trite photo ops is a little, maybe if, depending on your target, it might matter more. And, and, and I guess that that would be what I would say is that it's really... If your target group, if that really matters, then sure, you can cater to that. But ultimately, longevity comes from people feeling good. People spend where they feel good. So you can have, you know, your neon sign with some cute saying and that that's, <laughs> you know, I, I put them in myself. I, I you know, I'm guilty <laughs> as charts, but you can do that. But, but really... It's more about your own message and, and how people feel. And, and then it's that connection. And if your connection comes from that, maybe you can be more interesting about that. You know, like how, how is your Instagrammable moment something that is really 
coming from a genuine and authentic place and not just, you know, um, selling somebody's sign. That's not your Would own. Would you say there are design elements that are have to haves as, uh, against maybe a, a want to have? I'm in Las Vegas, the hotel bars or the, the very well-known bars out here, which are usually in casinos, yep. they are definitely getting the hint that they need to have purse hooks or they want someone to stay at the bar, they have to have a kick rail. So are there things that you say you just going forward right now, you have to have? I don't think so. I think uh, I'm a bit anti-establishment that way, I guess. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm always like, well, if everyone's doing that, why on earth would you do it, right? Like, unless it makes a lot of sense for you in some special way. I think what I'm seeing, and it's going to be interesting with COVID and stuff as, as far as what people are going to respond to more in the next year after a year of being closeted at home. I think what about having things too corporate, too uptight, too manufactured is is going to work against people right now. And I think having it feel available and comfortable will be important. And it'll be interesting. And I don't know the answer on this one, but it'll be interesting to see, do people actually want to be closer than they used to be? Or do they want more personal space? If I was designing a place right now, I would probably furnish it with more space between people with a backup plan of how I would fill in a whole bunch of extra seats. Because I think there's this pent up energy of people wanting to be very, very close as soon as possible. We're seeing that from just different predictions and different polls and surveys. And then of course, we do believe that pent-up demand will explode, but that it will start tapering back and right. likely quicker than we than we would like it to taper back. But that's great advice. I think you're right. If you can give people space, but then have a plan to fill it in, that's that's fantastic. And then as far as your uh, your building for comfort, I'm looking at your site and I, I love the, the fish shack space. It's just very warm. So I think that one I mean, would definitely hit the mark of just not being very corporate. How did this wall of pallets <laughs> come to, well, come to it's be? It's funny that you picked that project. That was a crazy, crazy project. So it had been a functioning restaurant that was sort of inspired by kind of a, a kind of Arabian Nights kind of feeling. It used to be called Sanafir. It was a very chic, upscale restaurant. But the neighborhood changed around it. And the owner was like, you know, this, this offering doesn't suit the demographic of this neighborhood. We just, people aren't coming here. We want to do something completely different, but because the restaurant had been not as successful of recent, the um, amount of money to, to do something was quite diminished. And so he came to us and said, what can you do for no money? (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, and what can you do that we can finish in less than two months from today? He's like, I want it to be uh, a casual fish eatery and I want to call it Fish Shack. And, and so we're like, well, what does that mean to be shack? What does it mean to, to sort of be free and easy and really attract sort of an after bar crowd, to have it feel more casual, to be great for watching sports on the weekends, that kind of place. And, and so we really took this vernacular of being on the docks, of, of, of being loose. And then we're like, okay, the volume, the height of the space was enormous. Like it's like, I don't know, 25 feet, 30 feet high with the mezzanine and stuff. And we're like, oh my goodness, how are we gonna ever make this feel warm and cozy and cool for no money? And so we're like, what's free? And so, 
so we went, our contractor drove around the city and picked up full, uh, like used pallets from around the city. And in fact, people still phone them to this day saying that they have extra to give away. And then we created this idea of kind of hanging out behind pallet stacks, but did it as a three-dimensional uh, design device. And then we hid little porcelain sockets behind them to put light bulbs in. So you kind of had this glow and, and it really changed the nature of the space from being a very formal space to being a place that just felt easy. Uh, and then we just kind of had little kind of cute nods to that kind of seaside feeling with life jacket material, seat cushions and things like that, that just sort of played into that fish story in the quiet place. Hi there, just a quick message before we get you back to this episode. If you're looking to take your bar, restaurant, or hospitality business to the next level, I mean to profits of 12 to 15% or more, it's time to take action. Let's start creating your roadmap to success with our proprietary strategies, tools, resources that will inspire your team, activate your potential, and lead your hospitality brand to margins you never thought possible. Visit krghospitality.com right after this episode for more information. Now, back to the Bar Hacks podcast. How do you get a client asking you, what can you do for no money? <laughs> that happens a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we all know it's a tough business, right? So I think uh, being like, it's lovely to have a big budget. Of course, that, that's great. It's lots of fun and there's more options. But I think people shouldn't worry about working with a designer if they do have modest budgets, because it, there's always a way to go at it. You, you can't create luxury without money but you can create interesting for very little money. And, and, and so it's more about being smart and it goes back to those ideas of who do we want to come? Why would they come? How do we create an authentic voice here? And, and just being clever about things versus just throwing money at it and you know everything having to be shiny and new. I feel like I know the answer to the question already, but is that really interesting to you to have to solve challenges rather than just have the budget to just get something done and, and that's that? I think most designers love lots of fences. Like we, we love the challenge of constraints to, to get to a path. That, that's exciting to us. That's intellectually stimulating. It, it, it provokes different thoughts and, and it allows for... I mean, there has to be enough to have room, but it doesn't need to be grand. And, and, and I think that's a, something that people don't understand about working with designers. They think that they shouldn't talk too much about what their hopes are or talk too much about, they, they think that, that we're, they're limiting the designer by giving too much. Whereas in fact, it uh, is so liberating to a designer to be like, I know this is the budget and I know that this is, the dream and you know and we need all these other kind of uh, constraints against us so what can we do and that's exciting and stimulating to to most designers so before we move on to another project i wanted to talk about what would you like to tell our audience about working with designers maybe like some myths you want to dispel or what you wish they knew before working with you just to maximize that relationship that's a great question i think one, I think it's important people to understand that there's different types of designers and especially between um, Canada and the U.S., how people call themselves and what they do is a bit of a gray area. And so in Canada, an interior designer 
can be anybody who can go and pick wallpaper to someone like the people who work in our firm who are essentially interior architects. And, and there's this huge spectrum of skills and abilities and experiences. And so be really sure you know the background of the people that you're working with, because that will change the service that you get and the ultimate results that you get. There's a place for everybody, but not everybody is the right person for you. So I think that that's really important. And sometimes those designations change in the U.S. versus Canada. So it's really just more talking about what services are actually part of the normal scope of service. And, um, you know, from technical drawings to uh, working on site, the construction aspects of it and, and um, working with the cities and the licensing and all that kind of thing. There's, there's quite a broad range of service. So I think that's really important. The other thing that comes up a lot, is, and I sort of mentioned it a bit before, is people worrying that that if they tell the truth about uh, what they really want or how much they have to spend, if they're really transparent about those things, that they'll be taken advantage of. And I think that, that that's really terrible that someone would feel that way because for the most part, our role is to be a servant to, to our clients, right? And, and to do the best by them. And going if you go into the relationship with that kind of point of view, then so much better things happen when you can just communicate clearly. So I have to talk about MIA because when I was going yeah. through the website, which people should go to boxinteriordesign.com if they want to follow along, but the lighting just draws you in. I mean, it draws the eye. It's not just lighting. There's, it's making a pattern. I think we all know the answer, but how important is lighting and how much do you think about lighting when you're looking at a hospitality space? Oh, lighting's everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can hide a lot of sins with good light. <laughs> so, so that case in, in particular was a very unassuming subterranean space. It had been a club for generations actually we met one bartender whose dad had been a bartender <laughs> um, at the same place uh diff many different owners but you know light reveals and light conceals and and being able to play those things to your advantage is an enormous asset in that particular situation, it was a, a dance club. So, you know, we did have the benefit of a really terrific lighting consultant out of the UK that that was part of that project because it all had to be tied into the sound system and everything. And it was quite an interactive lighting program. But on the other hand, I would say of our projects, probably five to 10% maybe have lighting consultants and, and we handle a lighting otherwise. Nightclubs, they, they need that technical support like that. That's just so it's such a specialized field. But for a lot of restaurants or, or um, bars, uh, wine bars and things like that, beer joints, your designer has a lot of skills and abilities available to them and the ability to manipulate your space through that. Because I think how the lighting is when you come into a space just really informs you of the experience you're going to have. It can also ruin your experience if the lighting isn't right. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've all been there. <laughs> you know, there's a reason they turn the lights on at the end of the night. Like, you, you know, you just want to go. Um. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, I've been in 
out here quite a few uh, nightclubs with the lights on and it's a much different experience. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but we have a nightclub that we have a robot chandelier yeah. and it is very much a part of the show. It's so like you said, it's not just you can go to a nightclub and hear some lighting. Right. It has to do with the, with the audio system, with any kind of video, any kind of interaction, because this one drops down to over the dance floor Nice. And fogs everybody. I mean, it gets crazy with you know different lighting. So, right, and then, you know, I mean, and then I, that's the magic, right? Like that's yeah. like, whoa, yeah, I want to go experience that. That's amazing. Exactly. Right? And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and that helps with your DJ program, and 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 it all creates this amazing synergy, and and you can really play with that. Every year, and I love my PR reps, but every year I get sent the Pantone color of the year. And I was going to ask you, like, should operators really be worried about the year's color and should they figure out how to incorporate it? Or is it really just a, a trend that maybe new builds should consider? Yeah, I think uh, unless your lease term is one year, uh, I, <laughs> going with the color of the year is probably not your friend. I think it really just all goes back to being genuine. There's no really such thing as or people shouldn't feel so compelled to go to Instagram or Pinterest and see what the hottest trending thing is and think that that's what's good for them. Actually, when you transcend that to the point that you're setting the trend, that should be the goal, right? You should be building what you're not seeing because that's what's next. And I think anytime you're chasing, chasing what's pop culture, uh, you're going to be behind because whatever has been done, this was done already like a year or two ago. Are there any design trends or elements, materials that you're really, you've kept your eye on that you'd love to incorporate into another bar or restaurant project? Do you think that way? That's a great question. Not per se. I, I like weird stuff. <laughs> so we, for instance, I, I was really excited. I had gotten a piece of art from a, a, an auction and it's this really weird flower that's like three feet tall and it's made of welded, really rough welded metal. And it's kind of, it's kind of mean, you're not sure if it's a, a flower that gives or a flower that will suck the life out of you when you're not <laughs> looking. <laughs> um, and and <laughs> I, I, we sort of used it as an inspiration for an idea to clad a fireplace that was in a bar to have these big panels of really uh, distressed cast metal uh, go around this bar to have this real brutalist 70s kind of vibe. The previous life of this restaurant was was quite restrained and stayed and safe and and we were trying to shake it up and have it feel a bit more rustic and, and uh, rugged and, and masculine and, and so we wanted to do this and then we ultimately that solution would have been like um, I don't know it was a hundred thousand dollar solution to a problem that also weighed tons uh, so that was maybe not a great idea but we were able to take that idea and talk to an artist who was able to recreate that in plaster and liquid metal and, and it turned out amazing and actually transcended what our original idea was and so I think it's sort of going through life and, and, how, and saying, okay, well, how does that make me feel? I really love how that makes me feel. I like the energy of that finish or that thing. And then maybe there's a way to interpret it that's actually better than what you originally hoped. 
Is there a prediction or trends that you are starting to see restaurateurs and bar owners and hotel owners gravitating towards right now? Well, you know, I think it's interesting. I sort of see two paths uh, and I'm not sure which way we're going to land. I see one path where things are getting simpler and quieter and more handmade and more craft, really pared back, really organic, I guess is sort of one way that I see paths going. The coloration is really soft and neutral on the warmer tones, like getting rid of all the harsh colors and everything being sort of gentler. And then I sort of have this feeling that sort of those late 80s kind of feelings are also kind of on coming back. All of a sudden, the black leather sofa doesn't necessarily feel so tragic. (laughs) (laughs) And you're kind of like, maybe, maybe that there's a place again, you know, maybe it's not all bleached oak and soft pinks and, and beiges and, you know, California Napa feeling like maybe, maybe there is this, I don't know, this eighties thing coming back. And I, I feel that that might be, it, it's feeling more correct again. Interesting you mentioned the black leather. There's a flask company called Rag and Proper, and they they outfit their flasks in different leathers. And they just announced this week that they their new one is black leather. So it's interesting <laughs> that you pointed that out. <laughs> As sponsored by, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish that'd be fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's funny. It's kind of been like, no one's been allowed to use black leather in our office for years, right? Like, so. <laughs> I've never even thought of that. I mean, but I'm, I'm thinking back, we have a place called the Barbershop out here. It's at the Cosmo. It's a speakeasy. It's actually yeah. through a door that's manned by a very, usually a very large gentleman. And it's through an actual barbershop. And it's supposed to sort of be like a, an LA living room type feel. Yeah. And all the couches seem to be like distressed brown yeah. leathers. And I'm sure they're not, you know, distressed. I'm sure they're very, very crafted and very expensive. But right. I'm thinking back and yeah, that's what you see. You see different shades of browns. Yeah. You don't see black leather right now. Interesting. No, no, it's sort of been um, an, a no-go for quite some time. But I feel like that kind of, yeah, going way back into sort of the beginning of boutique hotels. Uh, the work that Philip Stark was doing in the late 80s, uh, it, it's starting, I don't know, all those really uncomfortable chairs and <laughs> that are super sculptural and super beautiful. Uh, I don't know, it's starting to feel like maybe we need that tightness and that but there's a joy to it. It gets sort of quirky and, and sculptural as opposed to things being so straight lined and, and so rigid. I don't know, there's been quite an aesthetic of, of sort of just pure lines. And then there's now, right now, it's very curvy, uh, very feminine kind of movement. But I feel that there's this place of where is the random line and, and sort of these unusual sculptural things. I'm not sure if you get asked this a lot, but who decides that a style is now back in style or a certain thing is cool again, but then like, we don't touch this for 10 years. Is, is it just someone does it and the public goes, I like it? Or, or how does that happen? I don't know. It's, it's sort of a crazy <laughs> global organic group think. I don't know. It, it's kind of like the 
the rise and fall of, of whiskey or, or a particular, I don't know, like, you know, Merlot was a thing for a long time, <laughs> whatever. Like it, it's, it's just this kind of, the world gets excited about something and, and then it just starts bending and then it, there's a reaction against it. And, and this has happened through all of history, right? And the 50s, uh, aesthetic informed the 80s aesthetic, which is now maybe informing us again. And then the, the Art Deco period in the 1920s influenced the 1970s, which influenced the last recent years. And, and so you just sort of see um, there's these sort of waves and they have to do with economies, they have to do with politics, they have to do with art movements, uh, food movements, discoveries. It's really interesting. It, it, it's quite it's impossible a question to answer, but it, but it is sort of a global response to to society. Um, how can people connect with you, social and the website? Uh, well, we're certainly on Instagram, Box Interior Design. Call me; I'm available. <laughs> uh, our website, uh, boxinteriordesign.com, is a great place to get a hold of me or my partner. Uh, we'd love to chat. You know, pick up the phone. We still love just to talk. Thank you so much for being on. This was, this was awesome. Thank you, David. It was really fun. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Bar Hacks podcast produced by KRG Hospitality and hosted by me, David Clem. If you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Follow us on Twitter at AskBarHacks and Instagram at BarHacks. Talk to you soon.